But the short answer, in my honest opinion, is that we stand a much greater probability of losing the great power competition with China and Russia. Uh, it's that simple. I mean, the competition is fierce already. And if we are leaving out some of the best ideas out of our thought process for how we're going to win, we're leaving information on the table. Hello and welcome to The Wardroom, a podcast dedicated to the leadership development of the U.S. Navy's engineering duty officers. I'm your host, Commander Matthew Horton. Today, we'll be featuring a panel on diversity and inclusion. We are joined by four leaders from our community, and and I'm going to break from the format a little here and allow each of them to introduce themselves in a minute. But before I do that, I wanted to start by asking the chair of our panel, Rear Admiral Jason Lloyd, to help set the stage a little for us and explain why diversity and inclusion are such an important part of our leadership development. So, Admiral, over to you, sir. Hey, first off, Matt and uh, fellow members, I'd like to thank everybody for giving me the honor of helping to get after one of the most critical topics that faces our Navy and our nation today. And that's really how do we capitalize on our diversity to give ourselves a distinct advantage in great power competition? I'd like to start off really by challenging everyone out there to think about two things. Number one, why is change so imperative? And number two, why is change so hard? First, why is change so imperative? Uh, As one of my favorite mentors uh, that Gus will remember, always quoted, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. And as the world changes around us, if we don't quickly change with it, we will become irrelevant. And if we become irrelevant, we will lose the great power competition. Second, why is change so hard? So those of you who know me realize that I'm an avid reader. After reading the book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, I'm convinced that one major contributor to the fact that change is hard is that it takes a long time to change our mental models. So if you've read the book, about 80% of the decisions we make every day are made unconsciously, and that is without even thinking about them. Those unconscious decisions are made in the thinking fast part of the brain, and the decisions are made by forcing the data around us into one of the many mental models that we have formed based on our past experiences. So the brain's pretty lazy, and if it can convince itself to make a fast-based decision based on a mental model, it will. And for instance, you know, if I ask any adult what 12 by 12 is, you'll quickly blurt out 144 without thinking. The math tables that we memorized in elementary school form the mental models in our brains, and they'll never change. But if I ask you 13 times 21 is, most people would have to engage the slow or reasoning part of the brain. The problem that comes is when the brain tries to force data that it receives into a flawed mental model. So a flawed mental model is dangerous because it can result in wrong thinking fast answers. And those are the unconscious answers that we don't question. So if you were raised in a society where different races were treated differently, like I was, in Knoxville, Tennessee, you probably formed a mental model that this was the norm. And if your first ship didn't have females on it, like mine, you probably formed a mental model that women don't belong on ships. Changing those mental models is hard work, and you have to actively and consciously work to change them so that we don't have an unconscious bias. You have to have a proactive approach, and it's required to to constantly question ourselves hey, am I making an unconscious bias here? Is my mental model right? 
So there are two irrefutable facts that convince me this imperative we more rapidly accelerate inclusion into our EDO community. And you can't argue with these. Number one, leaders make better decisions when they're exposed to more diverse viewpoints. And number two, more diverse viewpoints come from more diverse teams. Those are just two facts. As I've always said, as a leader, I don't need people on my team that look and think like me because I've already got that perspective. Bottom line, the best warfighting decisions are made by leaders that are surrounded by diverse teams. So let's get after this. I'm ready to go. Well, thank you for that, Admiral. I, I do really appreciate that. So I'd like to take the time now to introduce the rest of our panel. And, and as I said before, I'd like each of you, if you would, please to introduce yourself. So I'm going to start with you, Captain. First up, Captain Gus Weeks. Good afternoon, all. Captain Godfrey, if you're looking in the gal, Gus Weeks. Uh, I am the LCS Mission Module Program Manager. I am currently stationed in the Washington Navy Yard, and I have been in the Navy for far too long. So I'm a prior enlisted. So I've been there since 1988 and still going strong, I would like to think. Married, five kids, and most importantly, eight grandkids, which I can't believe. Anyway, that is Captain Gus Weeks. Next, we're joined by Mr. Tim Haney. Tim, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Yeah, thanks for uh, bringing me on here. I'm a retired EDO from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I attended Southern University NROTC. Got my commission there. I'm currently the executive director at EDO school. I retired in 2015 and entered civil service. From there, I went over to NSWC Port Wainimi for a couple of years until this position opened in 2018. So I've been in a job here since then, 2018. I'm just a, a boring family guy, really. <laughs> I'm a big football fan, big fan of music. Uh, so anything from old to new, R&B, hip hop, jazz, Zodico, most people haven't heard of that unless you're from the bayou like I am. And also a little bit of pop as well. So that's, that's what I do to spend my, my free time. And, and finally, we're joined by Lieutenant Commander Sade Jurgensen. Sade? So, Lieutenant Commander Sade Jurgensen. Um, so, I was uh, born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago. It's an island in the Caribbean. Um, I moved here when I was 11 years old. I moved to Brooklyn, New York. I went to high school there. I enlisted in the Navy, and then I went to the Naval Academy. Um, I was an EDO option there. I went on to do grad school and all that. Uh, currently, I'm stationed at... Uh, I'm kind of in between commands right now. I'm leaving Comnap Surpac in San Diego, but I'm heading to EDO school as one of the, one of the instructors there. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that tour. Uh, I, I am married to a surface warfare officer. Uh, we have two small kids, ages uh, three and five. So that's me. Well, thank you again all for taking the time to talk to us today on a, on a very important subject. And welcome to the wardroom. And then if you haven't already, I'd invite you to grab a cup of coffee and join us in our conversation today. So. First question, and I'm going to start with you, Captain. How do you define diversity and inclusion? Uh, yeah, so I, diversity, I, I call is the metric. <clears throat> Just, you know, is the metric or a metric, right? So how many, you know, African-Americans in the room? How many uh, women? How many um, male, non-minority, uh, Caucasian, Asian? Right? That's, so that's a metric. Inclusion I find, I, I refer to it as the behavior that is desired, right? The ability to, to feel involved, to be a part of the group, um, not to be an outsider, that will allow the person to contribute 
is inclusion, and so that's the behavior. And representation, uh, I, you know, I know you didn't really put that one in it, but represent, representation I find to be the desired outcome. You can kind of look at it like that. So, And the representation part I got from is Sarah, uh, Commander Sarah Rice um, in one of my discussions with her previously. So that's how I would define it. So I like to think of diversity in one word as variety. You know, it's, it's demographic results, numbers. In this context, we're talking about people from, from different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, in particular race and gender, the most obvious ones to the eyes. There's also a diversity of thought, which sometimes lands from, from those things, race and gender and so forth. But in the diversity of thought, race and gender removed from the equation. And, and that's good, too. Uh, but I think we want to focus on race and gender for now and inclusion being the most important part. I'm going to use an Army term here, HUA. Maybe there's some folks out there who understand that one. Heard, understood, and appreciated is how that was described to me. So for, for inclusion, it's uh, welcoming the input. And uh, th this is one of the things that I think really would lead to better retention of our senior uh, minority leaders. Yeah, so um, so in my definition, so diversity is the what? It's the, it's the who, like we mentioned. So it's all those different things that make us unique. The language we speak, you know, where we came from, our backgrounds, our religion. So that's basically the what. And to me, inclusion is the, is the how. Is how do we retain those uh, those diverse backgrounds into our workforce and into the community? So it's ensuring that we uh, we value each other's opinions, value those those differences from those diverse backgrounds, and uh, making sure that we are actually doing things within the community or within the Navy to include those differences. So, what are some maybe misconceptions about diversity inclusion that you've encountered over the years? I think the biggest one is is that some people think inclusion and diversity equals reverse discrimination. And, um, you know, to that, I, I would say, you know, the vast majority of, of, of minorities, they're not looking for any special accommodations. They only want fairness in the processes and, and, and in the people who participate in those processes. So that, that's one I've, I've heard, and I, and I hear that quite a bit. And, and another one is that some people might say, well, we're already doing enough. To that, I say false. <laughs> that there, there's still much more we can do. Just to add to that, uh, so I think one of the, just like you know, Mr. Haney said, one of the biggest misconceptions I've seen is that, uh, that belief that diversity and inclusion is about making exceptions or hiring people who aren't necessarily qualified to meet a certain quota. And I think it's 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 the opposite of that, right? Is reaching out to those underrepresented communities and ensuring that we hire folks who are qualified to do the job. And to make it a little bit personal, when I was at the Naval Academy, I had a peer of mine mention after I got selected for EDO option that the only reason why I was selected was because I'm a minority and because I'm a female. So not so much that hey, you know, well, I actually had a 3.5 GPA. And that I had, a, you know, one of the best thesis within my cohort, but, you know, just that, just that, that feeling that you get or that, you know, the misconception that 
it's all about hiring people just to meet a quota. And that's, again, that is not what diversity is about, is making sure we hire the right person for the job and going into those communities that are underrepresented so that we can actually sort those type, those, those, those people out. Um, no, I mean, I mean, the only thing I, that I, I thought about is that, and it's kind of been spoken by Sade and, and Tim, is that diversity and inclusion is a, a PC way, you know, politically correct way of getting after affirmative action. And we know how charged um, that can be. So, you know, being able to have the discussion and disavow or disabuse any notion that this is about affirmative action or, you know, quotas as um, Sade talked to, uh, I think is, uh, if you get nothing else out of this discussion, uh, that would be a win. So let me ask the panel this then. And I think Admiral Lloyd kind of touched us a little bit. I mean, attitudes have shifted, but how have you seen attitudes about diversity shift over your time in the service? Yeah, I think uh, it seems recently that the that the increased emphasis that our senior leadership has been placing on this, and, and in general, I think I've seen more acceptance by by everyone or by most people. And uh, I'm, I've, I've been encouraged by the number of JOs that I see coming through the basic course here who seem to have a very high IQ, if you will, on this subject and who seem to be eager to do more to support the effort. So I like where I, I think it's going. Two things come to mind. Uh, one, um, what, what has been said is absolutely correct. Uh, the willingness to discuss diversity has become much more prevalent. And we're just, you know, just getting to the point where we're you know, somewhat comfortable with having the uncomfortable conversation. But, you know, you could just think, think of things like LGBTQ community being able to be who they are and who they are desirous of being or need to be and still be able to serve. Right. When I came in, uh, you know, don't ask, don't tell, you know, then Chairman Mullen put it in very simple terms. Right. Navy model, honor, courage, commitment. And. We were telling people who were serving that they could serve as long as they don't serve with honor, right? Because we were making them lie about who they were. So just that, I mean, that was a tectonic shift in how you know we were being inclusive in, in, in the Navy and in the military as a whole. And then um, also the, the things that what I was told, you know, even when I was a young midshipman, one of the things, one of the stories I was told about how an old XO of my XCO of mine, when he was a JO, he was writing fit reps or evals, and the way that they would put the X in the box, you know, or how they would color in the box or for the rating of the individual, the secret sauce was if you didn't put it to the right, even though you gave him a gave the person a 5-0, right? But you had to put the 5-0 to the far you know, reaches of the box for to really send the store, send the message to the board that this is actually a 5-0 sailor vice, or back then was 4-0, 4-0 sailor vice. I was like, and he felt, right, that minorities who did not have insight into that were left at a disadvantage, right? So, you know, little things like that, that it's not widely widely discussed, I don't think is as big an issue or as prevalent as a practice but it's, you got to have that discussion so you can know um, that those things are out there and how do you, and to get after things like that. 
If I can add um, just one more thing there, and I, I know this might seem very minor to, to the majority of folks, but, the, you know, but recently the Navy changed the grooming standards for African-American females uh, within the Navy. Um, and that, that was a huge leap for a lot because I know for me, I've, I've been in for going on 15 years now, and I used to spend just a ridiculous amount of time in the morning making my hair look like what the Navy thought it needed to look at look like. So that's just one of the one of the small things that the Navy has done. And I think they'll continue seeking out those types of things that they can do to be more inclusive and to change that uh, conception, right, of what is the norm. No, I appreciate that. That's that's actually very important. And so I'm glad to hear that we're making some progress in that area. What would you say to someone who says, I don't see color or, or I don't see gender? What would you say to somebody who, who would say that? Well, unless you're blind, this is not possible. I think um, it's okay to see color and gender. Sometimes it's even necessary. I'd, I'd like to think there's a, a different intent behind that statement. You know, something like, I'm fair to everyone. Uh, maybe that's more appropriate. But even there, you should probably be aware of the potential sensitivities that might impact your audience. And so you have to be aware of, of who you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, when I first thought about this, um, you know, kind of to what Tim just said, I was like, either that person is not being honest or they're being willfully or naively ignorant, right? But taking a step, you know, that was my that was my initial reaction. But you take a step back and say, okay, because the question was, what would you say to someone who says that? And you said, you ask them to explain, right? Because once you ask them to explain, and then you can engage in a dialogue, then perhaps you can you can gain a better understanding. And that's what all this is about, gain a better understanding of where they're coming from so that you can explain to them where how you see it. And hopefully, you know, the, the, the nirvana will be, you come to a, you know, a, a Venn diagram where, you know, where your understanding overlaps. And you say, oh, okay, then that may be just, a, in my opinion, in artfully said, I understand what you're saying, but, and here, here's my perspective. And again, you both take away something from that, that, uh, that that conversation. Uh, so I absolutely agree. I mean, the first thing that I think anybody would see when they see me is um, they'd see that I'm black and that I'm a female. So to say that, in my opinion, is, is ignoring what the obvious, right? So I think rather than than people saying that, they should, we should try, what we should be trying to do is embrace those differences, right? Embrace the fact that we are different, you know, that I am a female, that I am black, and we can learn from each other. So that we can be a better a better workforce, right? So I, again, I don't I don't think when and I've known people to say this, it actually has been said to me before. I don't think the intent is is should be is it's not meant to be negative, but it does come across that way because you you, you absolutely have to acknowledge that we are all different and just embrace those differences. One thing that that I thought about. So when someone says that, one of the things that that, that came to mind was. When you go into a meeting, in particular as a senior officer, you go into a meeting, you know, do you notice that 17 out of 20 non-minority senior officers in that room? Probably not, right? One of 17, you know, one of 20, you know, 17 of 20, probably don't notice. But I can guarantee you those three minority officers know that they are one of one of the 20 that's in that room. So to ignore that that is that there is a difference is is a problem. 
Appreciate that, Captain. Help. Thanks for helping to calibrate our thinking on this a lot. So, Admiral, I wanted to ask you, you know, what are the consequences if the engineering duty officer community really fails to embrace diversity and inclusion? Yeah, great question, Matt. You know, I, I think it's bigger than the engineering duty officer community. It, it's important for the EDO community, but it's even more important for the Navy. And I kind of alluded to it in uh, my initial comments. But the short answer, in my honest opinion, is that we stand a much greater probability of losing the great power competition with China and Russia. Uh, It's that simple. I mean, the competition is fierce already. And if we are leaving out some of the best ideas out of our thought process for how we're going to win, we're leaving information on the table. So as protests against the police killings of African-Americans began spreading across the United States in 2020. You know, it didn't take long for Russia to wade in. Russian media outlets, they jumped on the Black Lives Matter hashtag. They highlighted America's grave racial injustices. They had Russian bots helping spread disinformation about protests on social media. They were trying to divide our country to gain power on us. It is very clear. This is a strategic imperative. You know, in the United States, members of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, they warned against Russian incursion and urged the government to take action. And they noted that Russia is not inventing racial tensions, but they're seeking to exploit them in our team, in our Navy team. So as I discussed in my comments, We can only be the best military in the world if we can harness all of the best ideas and the diverse perspectives in order to make the best decisions for our military. If our country gets there first, I think we're more likely to win the great power competition. So I think this is an all hands on deck initiative. We've got to work together to accelerate process. We're better together. You know, as a closing thought on this one, Matt, imagine that the person that might be critical to the next major technological or military breakthrough just might be from a group who was overlooked or excluded due to our biases, whether conscious or unconscious, and and that could lose the war. Uh, We just cannot afford to to not have the full engagement of everybody on the team. So I think it's short answer. It's vital for us to win the great power competition. Well, thank you, Admiral. That really puts it into context for us really adds a lot of gravity to the discussion today. What are some of the barriers to embracing diversity and inclusion that you've seen? I think just not understanding those differences. I think, uh, and also some leaders not making an effort to understand those differences. I think that's definitely a barrier, like just not being willing to put yourself in, 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 in someone who you might lead in their shoes and to really understand the challenges of your lives are. I think that that definitely is one of the barriers of uh, overcoming Yeah, I totally concur with uh, what Sade just said. I think there's a lack of understanding of the benefits, you know, going back to uh, Admiral Lloyd's comments, you know, maybe our campaign for buy-in could use some professional help, you know, really, you know, to get people to really want to do this, you know, it requires their buy-in. In other words, they, they need to really want to do this. And, and, you know, from the heart, really want to do it. Another barrier is simply that racism still exists, <laughs> you know, just when you think, you know, we're making 
great strides, and I think we have, but you still see some uh, some remnants. There's an incident here and there that just reminds you, okay, that that's still going on in the background. Uh, it's just maybe a little bit more covert now. Sometimes not so covert too. <laughs> and then uh, there's just also, like we said earlier, some misconceptions about you know the the accommodations that might be getting made. And I think if people will just, you know, take some time to dig into it, do do some research other than just listening to the various news outlets, you know, they'll get a better understanding. Oh uh, yeah, so you know, first one I was like, what are the barriers? The only barriers are to diversity includes a personal or an organizational culture, right? There's no policies, or you know, thankfully, there are no policies that we can point to in the Navy and the DoD that kind of, you know, encourages, embraces, fosters barriers to diversity and inclusion, right? The don't ask, don't tell, gone. You know, we haven't had segregation in the military for eight. So all of it is now uh, back to what we, some of us, we talked about where we are, where we're from um, earlier, where you're raised, your cultural norms that you brought into the Navy and how willing are you if they're no longer complementary to the navy culture are you willing to change it so those are the barriers to embracing diversity if we get now the discussion we're having today and you know discuss the the leadership that's been shown over the last you know really last several years is is continue to chip away at that at that wall right we just the thing is we can't get tired right for you know, again, old guy in, in the, on the group, uh, Shawshank Redemption, right? Got to keep chipping away at it until you can get um, all the way through. Uh, hopefully, you won't end up in the sewer, but you know, um, but you just got to keep chipping away at it. You know, it's a steady, steady grind um, to the ultimate goal. Um, is is what we we got to do. No, I appreciate that, Captain. I actually I want to build on that a little bit. So, you know, what strategies have you seen that are effective in overcoming some of those barriers, either that people themselves can actively take or that maybe the larger community needs to, to work on embracing? Um, I think first and foremost, you got to be unapologetic in your drive to become diverse, right? And you, again, back to the um, Shawshank Redemption, you got to keep at it. It can't be a fad. And that's one of the things I, I have seen in my time in the community or in the Navy, right? We when something happens, oh my God, we gotta we gotta do some diversity training. What, what what just happened here, right? But the underlying issues never went away. But if you continue, if you continue to talk about it, and it's not just your annual training, but it's forums like this in command um, settings beyond you know the GMT, going through the GMT slides that you have these discussions about. This is because this is overall leadership. This is about a cohesive team. So if you're having that discussion on a regular basis, that is the way effective communities um, overcome the issues in, in, uh, as far as diversity. And you have to explain your goal, right? You can't just think people will get it. You have to explain why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, um, I think uh, just... Something everybody can do is just push back on, um, you know, those things. When you when you see the unfairness happening, you know, you you, you push back, you refute those notions that, you know, it, it, it's there's favoritism 
or or if you hear some comment that's that's insensitive, you you push back on that at at the moment, in the moment, and that's something everybody can do. I think what's what what may be most effective is when white people do the pushing back, and 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 you know you don't have to join some protests or anything like that, which is cool too. Uh, but just simply shut it down when it occurs on your watch and make sure everything in your area is fair. If you have anything to do with it, you make sure it's fair. And that's just chipping away at it. That's not a uh, that's not an immediate, you know, global solution. But, you know, it's it's chipping away at it is, I think, how we will get to the uh, a much better place at everybody. One one person at a time, one incident at a time. Well, thank you, Tim. Yeah, that's an important call to action, I think, for, for all of us as, as officers and, and as leaders to, to make sure that we're pushing back whenever we do see these instances of bias and, and lack of embracing diversity and inclusion. So, so thank you for that. One of the things I was just going to mention is, um, so the Navy does a really good job at representing different minority groups throughout the year. You know, there's like Hispanic Heritage Month, um, African-American Month and stuff like that. And, and one of the things I noticed, at least at my command, is not a lot of people like participate in those types of events that the Navy put, puts on. And I think just maybe figuring out a way both up and down the chain of command to get involvement from not just those particular groups, but from, you know, from the, the typical like, you know, Caucasian or other 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 groups to to really take those those um efforts like at heart. Cause that's one of the ways where where we could really learn about each other, learn about each other's backgrounds and their cultures. And to even have those discussions that, you know, we've, we've that are, that are difficult, but that, that need to be had. Um, so I don't know how, how we can, I, something needs to be done within me because I think it's, it's great that we, we put on those different events. But again, I know at my command, not a lot of participation ever happens. So just figuring out a way to get, uh, to make it more appealing for folks outside of that particular group to want to uh, participate and to learn about those different cultures. That's a good segue, actually, because I, I wanted to ask Admiral Lloyd here, you know, maybe kind of the bigger picture. Let's let's kind of draw back a little bit. You know, what efforts are we as an engineering duty officer community performing to embrace diversity and inclusion? And and how are we encouraging our leaders and as well as our, you know, deck plate leaders here, I guess, to, to get stronger in this area? Yeah, another great question, Matt. And uh, so I, I applaud Sade's answer. She's spot on. We've got to get more people involved in uh in the monthly meetings to, it really, it needs to be people from the other races that are going to these because we're the ones that typically learn the most from them. You know, the fact that we're sitting here together today discussing this on a podcast is a prime example of what we're doing as a community to lead change in this area. All of us, you know, we've got to keep talking about it so that inclusion, and Gus hit it right on right on the spot, inclusion is the goal here. We've got to include everybody. And that's even, you know, as a leader, I've, uh, I've found that I have to go pull the introverts in the engineering duty community. We have some of them, but you have to go pull them into the conversation because if you don't pull them into the conversation, you're not going to get the good ideas. You know, so we've really got to include everybody and overtly try to make sure everybody is included so that we do get the best ideas and make the best decisions. A couple of specific initiatives, and it's not EDO-centric, but if you haven't seen the Many Voices video that NAVC made after uh, a lot of the uh, 
issues surfaced in the last year or two, it is eye-opening to listen to different people's perspectives uh, and, and, and to put yourself in their spot and think how, how horrible you would be, you would feel in that situation if you had to deal with some of the things that other people have dealt with. Uh, it's really eye-opening. I watch it every couple of uh, months. I'll break it open again and just continually, again, challenge myself to change my mental models, keep working on it, change the mental models. You know, we've got to uh, the flag officers we talked uh, last month um, visiting uh, historically black colleges. You know, I went, so I, I, I was lucky. I, I was a midshipman at NROTC unit at Florida A&M University, and I graduated from the FAMU FSU College of Engineering. Uh, Captain Eric Felder, if you know him, he's a new PMS 300 major program manager. And previously, he was my technical director for surface ships and is a 99 graduate of uh, uh, FAMU. So Eric and I visited uh, FAMU last week on a recruiting trip, really getting out and trying to recruit more diverse backgrounds to get more diversity within the community. So we got to keep working on that. The monthly ERG meetings, um, you know, I've got, uh, we got to get really good people in there to speak that are really getting after things in our, in our, in our Navy. I, uh, my son, my oldest son graduated from uh, VMI um, last year. And uh, after uh, the report came out a year and a half ago at VMI, I sat down with them at dinner and I said, hey, you know, I, I, I had no idea. Is there really overt discrimination? I mean, I always know that there's uh, unconscious bias, but I said, is there really overt discrimination there, you know, and uh, uh, without getting personal, he just told me that they, they've got a lot of work to do. So uh, I recently, um, I'm, I'm the flag chair for the African-American uh, ERG here at NAVC, and I work with Karen Burroughs, who's my senior civilian deputy, and we arranged for Major General Wins, the new commandant of Virginia Miller, Military Institute, to be uh, our guest speaker at NAVC next month. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people want to hear from him because he's he is trying to make massive changes at a university that is a pretty big feeder for the Navy. You know, the uh, uh, Network of ED Women, you know, is a absolutely awesome program. So I go to that just about every month that I can to listen into that. But I think it's really a good perspective to go in there and hear from people of, of different backgrounds, um, encouraging uh, our women leadership to get together and talk about some of these things. I went to uh, the course that's called Strategic Thinking a couple of weeks ago that they send new flags to where you really take two weeks off and you just think about, hey, what do we need to do as a nation to better our community? And, uh, you know, we had a discussion, uh, Admiral Kutcher and Admiral Kano and Kutcher's uh, the uh, Admiral at uh, the uh, boot camp, uh, Naval Training Command, uh, but they were talking about it. When they came in 25 years ago, there were just as many women flags in the community as there are now. Um, so I, I do agree with everybody that we've made progress, but it's not fast enough. And we gotta we gotta focus on it consciously to get after this. You know, Admiral Cano, it's great seeing her in the flag community now, but but she's the first active duty admiral since uh Tim Haney and I and and and, and Captain Weeks all remember Admiral Page when I was a lieutenant. Was was a was a 
you know, a female flag officer in the media community. And, and it took 20 some years to get another one. So we've really got to accelerate it by getting after the consciously getting after these things. The ED got in co- coalition mentoring scenarios that uh, ED school's working on and uh, Mr. Haney's working on. So those are great, great ways of doing it. And, and I talked to Captain Malone and the basic and advanced courses are, are both really focused on these things. So I think it's consciously talking about it over and over and over again and not letting it be something that we just talk about when it's so overt and something happens in the nation that we, we go and talk about again and then, and then let, let die. Well, thank you, Admiral. Yeah, there's a lot of good nuggets in there for us to to mine and to work on as a community over the for for a good long while. That'll take us a while to unpack that. But thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You know, are there specific issues or concerns that we can address that might help retention of officers from underrepresented communities? Um, that's definitely a, a tough question for me. Uh, I think mentorship is is important. You know, I know just recently I was going through some things and I. Um, I reached out to a senior Navy captain and uh, shared some challenges that I was having. And I was on the fence. I didn't know if I would, if I would continue uh, serving. But just being able to talk talk to someone and share my challenges and just, you know, having her, just having her encourage me and maybe and, and talk about different resources and things I could do to uh, to face those challenges was, it, it really meant, meant the world to me. And honestly, I've had people along my career who has done just that, that have absolutely kept me in. So I, I, I just truly believe in mentorship as a, as, as a way of getting at retaining officers, you know, just knowing that I'm, I'm, I'm not alone and that I can rely on senior officers, uh, specifically senior female officers, just given my um, fact that I'm doing well with kids, which, which it adds another set of uniqueness to, um, to, to my challenges specifically. But again, just mentorship in general, I think that's, that's, a huge way to retain to retain officers in the Navy and retain retain minorities specifically as well. Uh, just to add to that, I would just say, you know, to to, to put the emphasis on the inclusion because that that's one of the things that's going to help more people feel more comfortable uh, in the environment is that they feel included. So 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 you do that by reaching out sometimes. Um, you know, ask ask a person how they're doing or are there any challenges that they're uh, facing and, and, and get that direct feedback. You know, that, that, that's the best kind, you know, direct face-to-face or, you know, over the phone, real time. And then, and then be committed to actually trying to do something about it. You know, just being, being an advocate, things like that. It's, it, it's all the, the basic things and, and we talk about it, but, you know, are we really serious about it? And, and I think that's the key, you know, to show some passion for it. And then and then other people see that and it rubs off on them. You know, they, they, they see somebody doing it. Maybe it's somebody they respect. And then that has a, a positive impact on, on them. And so it's a it's a gift that that keeps giving. So uh, I would just say, you know, the, the simple things right there. Um, two things. Um, first, for mentorship, yeah, you know, would mentorship be genuine? Right. So I'll I'll speak to a, a something that happened to me. Right. So talking to a previous mentor and, you know, talk, asking him about a job that I was, I was thinking about or I had been mentioned as I would be a, a I could be a fit for. And I was told, absolutely. That'd be a, you know, I think you'll be you'll do very well in that job. And then, you know, 
us being junior officers, well, we talked. So talking to one of my fellow peers and said, you know, didn't tell him what I had been told, but he was talking to me about, you know, um, where he was thinking about going and, and jobs he was thinking about seeking. And he, he shared with me that, you know, that same uh, senior officer told him it would never, he would never waste his talent at, on that, at that same job. Now, it may have just been that I was a bad fit for the job, right? And, and um, or I, went, I was just a better fit for that job than that, that officer. But understand when you're, when you're mentoring jails, regardless of who it is, you don't know how that conversation may get around. And, and again, I never told him, told the, my, my, my friend that uh, what I was told, but now in the back of my mind, I'm questioning the intent of that mentor, right? And not, not putting any aspersions to it, but as I, I will just say, you know, maybe it's a fragile ego, but as a minority, now I, in the back of my mind, I got a question. Was it really that I didn't have the skill set or he just had no intention of really allowing me to get, or he was, a, was willing to let me take a job that he was going to recommend to someone else? So again, um, so being genuine in that mentorship and telling the person what they need to hear vice what they you think they want to hear. And another thing that uh, I would recommend, uh, and I know we do it in the community, but uh, maybe be you know very purposeful in ensuring that minorities are on uh, promotion boards, right? In the sense of being a recorder, so so it continues to remove the mysticism of what it takes to get promoted, right? And they can see that you know, oh, it truly is timing and performance, right? Um, uh, above your you no know, reporting seniors average, uh, I I will. Yes. So I'll just leave it at that. Right. This being on a board, understand. And then once you're on, once you've been on that board and you tell your fellow peers, your fellow minority officers. Right. Yeah. Here's what, you know, it either matter or it doesn't matter. Um, just removing that mysticism of what it means to take the jobs that allow you to get promoted, I think will allow people to make conscious decisions about their ability, ability to to stay. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Captain. I appreciate that. It's a, it's a very good perspective. And I, again, I really do appreciate that. So, okay. Well, I have one last question and it's for, for everybody in the panel today. Uh, and it's my favorite one that we get to do every week. So Admiral, I'm going to start with you on this one. Do you have any good book recommendations for us? So I'm going to cheat real quick. Uh, I do have two favorite book recommendations um, right now. Uh, number one, uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman, uh, thinking fast and slow, which I mentioned before, uh, it's not an easy read, but wow, is it a good read to really understand your mental models um, and how they make biased decisions. Uh, great book, it's, uh, thinking fast and slow. And then the other one I encourage every naval officer to read uh, is the Kill Chain. So these two books get after two things: number one, why is change so important, and number two, why change is so hard. Thinking fast and slow is why change is so hard, and um, the kill chain is why we have to change quickly. Uh, so that's my recommendation. Christian Bros on that one. Um, so I am um, known to be impatient and, and, and rather direct, right? I'm, 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 I, 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 I direct a lot. So leading with questions. So how leaders find right solutions by knowing what to ask, I find is it slows me down. 
right? Um, so it's a very good book about, uh, especially as you get into this uh, senior officer, right? To, to get to the point where you just, okay, why? Because otherwise, left to my own device, I'll just tell the team what to do and, and then no one has to own the decisions that they make. So I find that this is a, that's a good book. And then um, Marcioni, I mean, Alessioni, Mark, uh, Patrick Alessioni, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, it's just one, it's, it's the kind of a diversity of thought and diversity of perspective. And two, how do you bring a team together? And it has a, it's a nice story, it's still, uh, it's, uh, written in a storytelling uh, fashion. So it's just, a, it's just an easy read. Yeah, I have a couple, um, and I'm not much of a reader, but uh, I did read a few books lately. I'm getting better at it. Anybody who's come through the basic course knows my favorite book is uh, It Worked For Me by Colin Powell. It is just on, on the subject of leadership, it's it's full of it. Like it's weight and gold. It's, it's every page of it is, is good leadership advice. And, and even, even if you only read the first chapter and get the, the 13 rules, you, you're, you're going to be winning uh, with, some, with some additional leadership guidance right there. And so another book I read, it's a really quick, easy read on this subject. Uh, it's called Up From Nothing by John Hope Bryant. And in that book, he, he kind of makes a business case for why uh, diversity and inclusion it, it benefits everybody from, and, and he puts it in terms of dollars and cents. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good one on, on the subject of today. Um, so I have, I have one. So I, unfortunately I don't, I don't get a, I don't do a ton of reading. I do a lot of audiobooks. Again, I, I mentioned I have three, uh, two kids. Um, so that takes up quite a bit of my time when I'm at home. Um, but like the Admiral mentioned, I've slowly been making my way through thinking uh, fast and slow. I've actually been reading it for about six months now. It is it is a tough read, um, but it was recommended to me, and um, definitely I would I would recommend that one as well. And um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. One of the ones um, I, I really like, uh, specific to this topic as well, is one by uh, Yashmin Adele Majid. Uh, she's a Muslim oil engineer, um, and she talks about basically that the name of the uh, the podcast is "What Does My Headscarf Mean to You." So it's about these unconscious, unconscious biases that she's experienced through her life, you know, beginning from uh, as, as early as middle school because she was a hijab, you know, and people wouldn't think that, you know, she's also an engineer. She's built her own car and all these things. You see people who wear a hijab and you think immediately, oh, you know, you're being told to wear that. So I, I would say that one, I, I do a lot of podcasts. So I definitely would recommend that one in terms of this topic. And then I think it's fast as well. I appreciate that, Sade. And, and my wife will tell you, she, she is a professional reader and she will tell you audiobooks definitely count. So, so great. I appreciate those recommendations. Well, everyone, again, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for the conversation that we've had. I do really think that this one is an important one for the EDO community. So again, to all of our panel members, thank you for your vulnerability, for sharing your stories and for some very sound advice that we as a community can can really embrace as we work on this as this topic going forward so again thank you no thank you thank you matt happy to support anytime anytime you have a great one thank you for joining us in the wardroom if you have questions you would like our guests to answer comments or suggestions you can email us at the wardroom podcast at gmail.com or tweet or follow us on twitter at wardroom podcast 
Special thanks to our sound engineer, Lieutenant Chantel Lavender. If you like what you heard today, be sure to give us a rating on your favorite podcast listening app. It helps others discover the show and allows us to keep getting great guests like the ones you heard today. We look forward to meeting again in The Wardroom. Thank you.